I don't think God's, you know, disappointed in us when we don't, you know, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It's not like he's sitting around going, oh man, I'm so disappointed in you. But he is saying, man, you have no clue what could be if you would just take that step of faith, go into the dark cave. I've got something beautiful on the other side for you, but you got to take the risk. Hey, everybody. I hope your Tuesday morning is starting off just as good as mine. As always, I'm Jonathan, and welcome back to another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. And I am really excited to get super practical with you today. Something you guys always hear us talk about, whether it's in this podcast or over at Stay Forth Designs, you hear us talk about taking your next right step. And whether that's getting healthy in your leadership, adding new rhythms into your lifestyle, or starting some new venture that you've been uniquely called to do, something you're deeply passionate about, whenever we take next steps, there's always a bit of risk and with risk comes a bit of inherent fear involved and how do you navigate that how do you take and navigate the complexities when we have a dream in our head and when we're birthing that into reality because it's real it can be terrifying as alan briggs always says it's terrifying we're both excited and terrified at the same time so we're going to unpack that today alan has a great conversation with joelle mom about taking dreams getting them into reality and the risk and fears associated with those so sit down relax share this episode with a friend and enjoy today's episode with alan and joelle mom talking fear risk and dreams Joel, hey man, thanks for jumping on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to good to be here. Man, uh, we're wired up really similar. Have loved getting to know you, and um, loved reading your book, Fully You. And excited to talk a little bit about that, and also about vision and dreams. Something that we have in common is adventure, and also mm-hmm. we love helping people figure out how they take those dreams in their hearts and actually make them come to life. So I want to get really practical on that today. But back us up. Uh, a little bit. How did Summit Leaders start and what in the world do you guys do? Okay. So Summit Leaders is basically we take people on outdoor adventures and the formula is something my friend Mark Batterson kind of laid out in one of his books, which I love. It's change of pace plus change of place equals change of perspective. You know, when you change up the speed of life, get out of the routine, change your, your geographical location, there's just, it's just a formula for a change of perspective, God speaking to you. And the first time I realized that was when right out of college, I started leading backpacking teams all over the world. So we would do, uh, I think it were like four month trips where we had one where we started in Hong Kong and we smuggled Bibles into China and worked our way up through Northern China, Mongolia, down through far West China, up to Tibet, Mount Everest base camp, and then back out. And then we had another one where we flew one way to Central America and worked our way back to the U S by ground. And, um, that's how it started. I, ju- I just saw in these college students what happened when you when you just stepped away from everything that you know and changed it. And um, it, it's that's how it started. It's kind of morphed over the years. We don't I don't quite have four months available anymore now that I'm married and have a daughter. But uh, it, it's the same concept. And I've found that when you give somebody when you in a smaller amount of time when you give people a challenge together. Um, I just had somebody just contacted me from that was on my Israel trip. And she was saying, it's just mind blowing to me how well I connected with people I totally didn't know in seven days. I know some of the people on that trip better than I do people I've worked with in my business for six, seven years. And it's that formula again. I mean, you throw a challenge out in front of people, they're working together towards it. And it's just amazing. Of course, you have a lot of time to talk on the trail, how quickly they bond. And so the way we kind of got started was uh, I, I invited some pretty high profile guys to come and hike with me. 
And I threw out a challenge to him. I said, hey, you want to go you know, climb Mount Kilimanjaro or hike uh, the Inca Trail through the Andes Mountains to Machu Picchu or raft the Grand Canyon or climb to the Hoffa Half Dome? So I'd throw out these challenges and we got some pretty prolific guys that came on early on. And um, that was a huge blessing because, uh, well, first of all, they did all the advertising. They just tweet about it once and we'd fill a trip. So that's how we got started. And what we're doing, they're shorter trips now. They're about seven to 10 days, depending on the destination. But it's the same formula, change of pace plus change of place equals change of perspective. And everybody's like, wow, it's so brilliant. But really, it's not It's not anything I came up with. I just, I just do kind of what I do. And I don't even have to be like super strategic about it. That's the funny part about it is I, I would, I used to send out these surveys and I'd ask people, Hey, what did you think of this? What the speaker said? And I'm talking, we're talking like high level guys. I'd never hear back about what the speaker did in the devotionals in the evening at base camps. I'd hear about some conversation they had with some fellow on the trail that, or, you know, fellow pastor or something on the trail. And they'd be like, man, that was a life changing conversation. Like so I started realizing speaker, what speaker? Yeah, no, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, well, shoot, it costs a lot of money to get these guys. We could do this to just get a bunch of guys together and the same thing happens. You don't have to have the big name speaker. Of course, everybody appreciates hearing from these guys, but, um, and they're awesome guys to be around. So, but anyways, that's, that's what we do. We do these short, short, uh, seven to 10 day outdoor adventure trips all over the world. Um, we do a couple in the U S but mostly all over the world. And we, our goal is just help people get a new perspective on their life and let them see things from the way God sees it, hopefully. Awesome. Well, a friend of ours connected us and said, man, you guys have to connect. Um, we call it unique design. And trying mm-hmm. to figure out how God has uniquely designed someone in your book, Fully You, you talk about unlocking the power of all you really are. So I love the language kind of around life design and even leadership mm-hmm. design, and then just adventure and risk. And something that I've been saying a lot, Joel, that I see everywhere is sort of the death of the information age the death of some of the events and bigger events we go to just for the event back in the day. And like you're saying, guys want to talk. Gals want to talk. We want to get together with other people to have real conversations, to take on a challenge. And I think that people are overwhelmed with information and hungry for experiences and encounters with other people right now. And so you're creating like that beautiful intersection of those right now and things like that are growing. And I just think a lot of people are bored. I mean, just want something yeah. big to take on with their lives that that matters and it's going to be with other people and people are lonely. So I absolutely love that you're doing um, these trips. So adventure and risk, it's obviously a big piece of your story. Why is it so central to your story? You know, my dad and I were talking about this the other day on a podcast he and I do, and um, my dad modeled it for me. He, you know, the first real risk I ever saw, I was just a normal kid growing up in Texas and God... Uh, kind of called my dad to go on the mission field in Guatemala, Central America. And it was right like at the heat, the peak of the civil war down there, um, late eighties. And we ended up moving down to Guatemala. And I remember I protested vehemently as a 10, 10 or 11 year old kid. I was like, you're ruining my life. Uh, and I watched a lot of people even tell my dad, this is not a good decision you're making for your family. Uh, my, my grandfather was one of those. And, um, this is a, you know, this is not the optimal thing. And, and what was really fascinating to me is as I look back now, I see my mom was actually, um, really in a, uh, I kind of talk about this in the book in fully you, my mom was in a very bad place, um, struggling with a lot of anxiety. And typically when you have somebody that has a lot of anxiety, the best thing to do is not take them to a war torn country in central yeah, America. Not usually the best <laughs> but, recipe. 
Yeah, not not exactly what the clinical professionals would say. But I saw my dad do this and he, he just knew in his heart. I mean, he saw a lot of counsel. But I realized early on I had it modeled for me. Um and and I think that's where I I, I realized that so what Joseph Campbell says, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure that you seek. That the greatest things that that happen in life um, that God wants for us, all those things that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has perceived, tend to happen on the other side of the thing we fear the most. And I don't think God's, you know, disappointed in us when we don't, you know, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It's not like he's sitting around going, oh, man, I'm so disappointed in you. But he is saying, man, you have no clue what could be if you would just take that step of faith go into the dark cave. I've got something beautiful on the other side for you, but you got to take the risk. And that has been, I've seen that in my life. You know, God's asked me to take little steps at a time. Thank goodness. No big steps yet. Um, But I don't know that he ever does ask to take huge, big steps. He prepares us for the little steps. And so I've taken those little steps and I've just seen, you know, it's just, it's been exceedingly, to use Bible language, it's exceedingly abundantly far above all I could ever ask or think what God's done but I just see over and over again that it usually comes, the great things God has for us come just on the other side of taking mm, the risk. It's, good. it's been so true of my story. The word I have is terracited, that that's how I know when there's you know equal parts fear, equal parts faith in there to go, if God doesn't show up, this could end poorly. And, uh, you know, and sometimes in the <laughs> micro it does, but I look back and go, man, I'm so glad that I didn't take fear as a sign that I wasn't supposed to, to do it. Um, you've been all over the world, right? 65 countries. Is that right? Uh, I think it's, yeah, it's above that now, but I don't know. You, you've been all over the world. <laughs> yeah. I just kind of, yeah, I kind of stopped keeping track, uh, but yeah. So is there one adventure or moment piece of the, of an adventure that you felt like this has marked me, this has marked my life. Like it's been extra special. Can you take us to that moment? Hey man, that's a great question. Um, there's, there's a, there's a few, I would say, um, one did not actually happen. Um, while I was leading teams, it was actually while I was on a team and we were climbing a mountain in Russia. And, uh, I was just, I was a college student, went with my college pastor and we, we ended up, the bottom line was I was way out of my league. <laughs> I should not have been climbing this mountain. It required ice axes and gear. I didn't even have so we had to Elbrus? rent them in Russia. We were climbing mountains. Yes. Yeah. Elbrus. Yeah. And, uh, we're climbing that mountain and, um, I kind of have this realization in the middle of this blizzard that just won't let up. I'm like, man, I'm way out of my league and I got a lot to live for. I'm only like 24 or something. And, uh, so I turned around to our guide and I said, Hey, I'm out. Like, I can't, I'm not going to do this. And so one of the guides was going to take me back to camp. Um, the team went on and, um, we turned around, but of course we had lost the, it was a whiteout, a pure whiteout. So we had to just kind of stay there and wait for the storm to pass. And we'd lost the trail because all of our tracks had been covered in the snow. And, um, her name was Oksana. And I remember she said, you know, wait here, I will find the trail. So she goes to find the trail and I'm just sitting there getting pelted by snow. The wind's blowing hard. And I, I just remember feeling deep within me this sense that God was saying to me, I want you to do this for other people. Take them on outdoor adventures. And I remember my first thought was, well, I'm not, I'm kind of in a precarious situation right now. Who's going to follow me? And I'm like, hey, f- follow me. Let me tell you about my horrible experiences climbing mountains. Uh, but uh, that was, I would say the moment that I got the call, uh, whatever the call is, uh, uh, to, to do kind of use outdoor adventure as a tool 
to, 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 to help people get a new perspective on their life. And I remember, it's funny, I was in the middle of this precarious situation, mm-hmm. but I remember feeling so alive and it was kind of the sign to me. And so that, that was one key moment. Um, and then I had another one when I was in New Zealand, um, hiking around yes. down an area called I've Milford Sound. i been to Milford, Sound. man. And Four straight was, days of rain, was, baby. Yeah. Oh, bummer. It it's, it's still beautiful in the rain though, right? Um, yeah, it's kind of, kind of, uh, heavenly, but anyways, down there. And, um, I just really, it was just kind of a confirmation that I was supposed to be doing, uh, this. And it was right before it was, I was, I had just graduated college and I was kind of starting to, I had a great job and I was wondering, you know, is this for real what I'm supposed to do? Step away from this great job and, and do this other thing. And it was a confirmation of that. Um, and then that, those are kind of the two big ones. I had another one in Venezuela, um, when I was down in Canaima, which is a beautiful area of Southern Venezuela. And there's all these, the famous Tapuis ecosystem, which is these flat t- tabletop mountains. And we went and took a dugout canoe up to, um, um, Angel Falls, uh, Salto Angel is what it's called. Angel Falls, highest waterfall in the world. It's almost a, I can't remember if it's a kilometer or a mile high. It's really high. It falls off one of the Tapuis. And, um, this amazing ecosystem out there. And I remember I, w- I was out there. Uh, it was right after I had really been hurt by a guy in ministry. And uh, I mean, just really hurt by a pastor with some stuff he had done to me, stabbed me in the back, stabbed my, my, my family in the back. And uh, and I'll, I'll never forget, I was sitting in this boat having this amazing experience. And, you know, but I'd been kind of like rolling around, lamenting, feeling sorry for myself. And I remember this feeling in my head, God saying, are you going to get over this? Because I've got a lot more for you if you'll just get over this. And uh it was, it was kind of a wake up moment for I, where I had to go. Oh yeah. Like, first of all, if I hadn't gotten like fired by this guy, <laughs> I wouldn't be down here in the Venezuelan jungle having this experience. And I remember it was just felt, I don't know if it was God speaking to me or me just kind of going, okay, I'm over this. And it was a, it was a key moment for me because it, it, you know, it's just so easy when you've been hurt to, if you ever in ministry, you get ready, you'll be hurt multiple times. Um, they, it's just so easy to kind of wallow around in the, Oh, woe is me. I'm, I'm such a sacrificial, you know, I sacrificed myself and then this happened to me. And, uh, I, it was, a, it was a kind of a pick yourself up, Joel, like dust yourself off. And let's move along. And that was a powerful moment for me, but I just remember specifically the spot where I was when I went down in Venezuela. Man, I got to ask, uh, when have you been the most scared? Like take us to a moment where you thought, man, I might not make it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, for, fortunately I'm, uh, in my youth, I was a little naive, but, uh, I'll never forget one time we were crossing from the Dominican Republic into Haiti. Um, we were crossing by ground and somebody had, the Dominican Republic police had shot a Haitian, uh, refugee or something to that effect. And they had closed off the border right like we literally checked out of the Dominican Republic and as we were checking out of the Dominican Republic walking over the bridge to get into Haiti they closed the border and we're like uh what are we do what are we going to do here so we ended up sitting there on the bridge for about 30 minutes but this crowd just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and they were getting madder and they started throwing things and i looked at there was like five or six people behind me i was like everybody grab my hands so we like made a little chain and i just started pushing my way through and we got to the gate uh, the Haitian, the Haitian border and the guys, you know, with machine guns are like, you can't come in, you can't come in. I was like, let us in. We have nothing to do with this. And I was like flashing my passports. I pulled the gate open and just walked past the guard. And, uh, fortunately the truck was waiting for us. So we literally jumped in the back of the truck and just took off. Um, and it, it was, 
it was, I remember thinking that could have gone south in a real hurry. <laughs> so, wow. And then later you go like, man, I'm really glad that worked out. Uh, man, it feels like we need to transfer this conversation around the fire sometime soon. So whether it's my backyard, whether it's somewhere in the Colorado wilderness, let's keep telling these stories. Um, or maybe we'll just have you back for a story hour uh, here. That's funny. Yeah, I don't actually I do a lot of these interviews and I don't get a lot asked to tell a lot of stories. So thanks, just, man. I like I'm just it. curious, man. There's there's so many stories, I'm sure in there. And it's not lost on me that you're allowing people inviting people even into the adventure of what God has for them in their story. It's so connected. I'm telling you, it's the same kind of rush I get climbing a mountain as when somebody has an aha moment, mm -hmm. like here's who God designed me to be. So I really felt at home. I felt like I was in my own comfy chair in my own living room as I'm reading your book. Um, and so I just want to encourage you and what you're doing. It's such needed work. There's so few, I feel like who are in this space of life design and leadership mm -hmm. design for kingdom leaders right now. Uh, so man, can't wait to continue to track uh, with what you guys are doing. So I want you to share a little bit about vision today. Part of what you do is you help dreams come to life to kind of pull those down to the ground, make them tangible and actionable so people can actually do them. So why don't you share some of the major movements in your vision map process that you walk people through? Yeah. So of course it's, it's been an evolving process. I wrote uh, that book vision map probably seven years ago. And shortly after that, I found people were coming to me saying, can you actually sit down and, and walk me through this process? So I've been learning. Um, it's funny when you write a book, think people think you're a pro, right? An expert, but uh, really I'm not. Uh, but I'm, I've been learning just from people. Everybody's got a unique situation, a unique call. And so I've worked with, I mean, probably hundreds at this point of people on this. And so I'm always learning. Um, but the specifics, vision, map process uh, is is something I just came up with when I didn't know where to start. It was just kind of the way my mind works. Uh, when you've got a dream and something that God calls you to do, it's typically bigger than anything you can do on your own. That's kind of the sign that you've got a God-sized vision. If you could do it on your own, um, you wouldn't need him. And he's all about getting the credit and the glory. So he, he's like, hey, I'm going to throw down some impossible visions for you where you just look at him and say, there's no way. So when he throws you an impossible vision, you know, we're called to, uh, as Irenaeus said, we're called to work, you know, work as if it depends on you and pray as if it depends on God. So coming into it with that angle, I thought, well, what would that look like to build out something? And my simple process was this. I just started writing down um, my, one of my favorite mantras is aim low. And if you can't find something to do, aim lower. And if you still can't find something to do, aim lower. Yep. <laughs> so what I did is I just said, what's the smallest unit of action I can take. And I got a black marker. I wrote across the, the top, the vision I wanted. And then I got on a big old, um, yeah, poster board. And then I wrote at the top, the vision, which was start this outdoor adventure organization. And then I wrote at the bottom, like, what's the first step I can take. And I just started taking little steps that I could take and then putting a deadline on them, um, on things I can do. But eventually you get to something where it's going to require divine intervention. And I, I realized that quickly for me with I didn't know anything about legal processes or how to start a, a, a 501c3. It seemed like a 501c3 was the best kind of setup for our organization And uh, when I was doing this. And so I, was, I found a red marker. and I was like, you know what? I'm going to write stuff I can't do that only God can do in red. And I just wrote it in red. And those red items became my prayer focus. So I'm over here doing the, the black letter things as much as I can. But as soon as you get something that's a red letter, you've got a prayer focus. And of course, you put a deadline on the black letter things, but not too wise to put a deadline on the red letter things because God's going to work in his time. Um, but that's what I found for me. It was, it was just super helpful in, in kind of organizing my mind 
um, in how to, what are the small steps you can take? And then don't discount any small step because a momentum builds on itself. Dave, Dave Ramsey talks about that. He says, you know, pay off the small debts first so that you can feel the momentum building. And I think it's the same in life is you write down the little things, the little steps. So I was, you know, I use an example of a girl that um, she wanted to be the first person in her family to go to college and um, she felt overwhelmed. And I said, well, hey, you know, the first thing you've got to do is you got to fill out an application. She's like, oh, that's great. So she wrote, fill out an application. I was like, but there's one thing you got to do before that. She's like, what's that? She's like, I was like, you got to pick up or download the application. So, you know, it's as simple as download the application, fill out the application, send it in. And when she, and her first red letter thing was she didn't have the money for an application fee. I said, well, that's a great, great thing. And, you know, there's no nothing too small for you to ask God, invite him in on the process in because this is his vision anyway. So I said, well, ask the Lord. And the Lord miraculously provided that red letter thing for her. And you just see, I don't know, there's something powerful. Maybe it's that Habakkuk 2 thing where it's like write the vision, make it plain on tablets that the Herald can read it and run with it. But there's something that happens. It's like some sort of something is ignited when you've written it down. I mean, there's studies that show, you know, there's Harvard studies that show people who write their goals or, you know, achieve them more than people who just think them out. So there's something that happens when you write them down. It's like, God's like, oh, you're serious about this? Let me let me throw the forces of heaven behind you to, to see this vision come to pass. So there's a power in, in just writing it down. And that's what that simple vision map process is. You write out in black the things you can do, no matter how small it may seem, and then you go do it. And then you get to the red letter things and, and God may provide what you think you need in the red letter, but you stay alert because he may provide in a way you never saw coming. So you don't get too laser focused on the red letter things, but um, you recognize that it's God that's going to have to bring those to pass. And sl- slowly but surely, you find yourself kind of working up up the chart there. And before you know it, I've found the dream comes true. And and you look back and you go, wow, how did this happen? And you see how it happened. It was God doing what only he could do and you working like it depended on you and praying as if it depended on God because both are true. Mm, so good. Man, you're talking our language at Stay Forth. We just say, what's your next right step? And you're saying, mm-hmm. aim low. And it's interesting, even as you say aim low, like we, we often feel like that's a cop-out because we're going to we're going to aim so big and, and it's going to be huge, but you're saying, okay, what's step one? You need money for an application. You need to reach out and get the application. And I think so many times we get stuck between step zero and step one. And, mm. uh, you know, you're talking about momentum. Take your first right step and then your next one becomes easier. I see so many parallels in what you help people do there and physically these trips, these adventures are taking people on. Um, man, I, I love what you're saying there. And I'm sure you've got so many stories of people coming back later and saying, I got momentum. I took my next right step. Isn't that amazing when you see people accomplish something they couldn't have alone without God? Yeah, I, I was this just this morning, I was in my little reading and devotional time and I'm reading, uh, kind of reading back through Ruthless Trust by Brennan Manning. And for some reason, I had the thought that just, how easy it is to forget what used Ooh. to be impossible. Um, you know, what, what, I just think about all God's done in my life. And, I, and sometimes I get worried about what's coming up ahead. I'm like, God, you know, and, but here, man, his like, his grace sustains you at every place you're at and you've got the grace you need. You just got to reach out and take it. And it's funny because all this, the life I'm living now, man, 10 years ago, I would have said, oh, there's yeah. just no way. Impossible. There's no way. Yeah. Like that's impossible. But you forget once God makes it possible, you're like, oh, it just becomes the norm. And we tend to forget. Uh, so it's, it's a good it's good to remind yourself of how quickly you forgot what used to be impossible. Yeah, so. I good, agree, man. So good. Uh, in Fully You, you talk a lot about the barriers that hold people back 
from being fully them. I'm curious for you, what were some of those barriers that were holding you back from being fully you? Man, man, I think it, I think in everybody's life, it comes down to fear. I mean, fear was the primal emotion Adam and Eve felt. Um, as soon as we were separated from the source of everything we need, uh, you know, in the book, I say that there's three things we need, basically. Uh, it all comes down to everybody needs a security, everybody needs connection with others, and everybody needs empowerment or control and some autonomy in their life. And the moment that we got separated from God, the source of that through sin, um, we ran around in fear of not getting those things met. So my specific you know, hot button is the, is the control thing. Um, I grew up as a pastor's kid, and I think that's part of the reason uh, you know, I thought I had to be a perfectionist. And so the response to control is perfectionism. That's one of our defense mechanisms, as I talk about in the book. Um, and I, I think... I've gotten over it, but there's, when I find, when I, you know, I'm not as perfectionistic as I used to be. Um, but you know, trying to keep up the illusion of having it together, making people think you got it together and the perfectionism. Um, but, but I found that when I get under stress, I I go back to that controlling response. Um, as, as a leader, when things are not going the way I want my wife, (laughs) that's a joke, but my wife can tell when I'm feeling stressed because I go around just like start purging the house, like of everything. I have to do something. I must accomplish something. Yeah. Yeah. Or she's like, the other day I was cleaning the grout and she's like, are you feeling stressed? I'm like, yeah. How'd you know? And she's like, cause you just cleaned that a few weeks ago, man. You're doing meaningless stuff. Yeah. It's as simple as like, well, if I can at least control my small environment here, like I can organize my books again, or I can, uh, you know, it's that obsessive kind of compulsive thing. I don't have OCD. The people that do have OCD, are, and it's a very stressful thing for them. Um, but I, I do get obsessed with kind of getting control of my small environment. And so that's one of the things that's particularly been a challenge for me is, is you just learning you can't control everything. And, and I've, I've, I've been blessed with a pretty strong, strong will. And uh, I've, I've always kind of felt that I could push anything through by the sheer force of my will. But um, I'm learning to surrender that and, and the stuff you push through on the force of your will, you have to maintain right. on the force of your will, but the stuff that, the stuff that you let God do, uh, he, he, yeah, it's the classic, everybody says this, but he opens doors, no man can shut. And so I can, I can punch open a door, but then I've got to be the one standing there holding it. But when he opens it, I just, that's the way to go. And so it's a lot less stress, a lot less stressful for me when I don't have to control everything. <laughs> mm, yeah, that's, that's right. Joel, what's a tension you're experiencing right now in your life? Um, the tension I'm experiencing right now is feeling a deep sense of potential within me, but watching people with potential around me that they, they, they're ruining their lives, um, all for the name of that potential. And I get some days, that honestly, bro, that's why I've stopped going to these like go big conferences where it's like, everything's big, big, big. I go in there and zero to a million by Tuesday. Right. And, and I come out feeling ramped up and, I'm, and then I find that I just really have a hard time balancing the, the deep sense within me that there's a purpose and a drive that God's put in me, um, with his timing and, and, and trying to, you know, push it myself and make it happen. And so I'm, it's, it's a constant tension. And, and since my, my daughter came into the picture, you know, whenever a new value comes, you, into your life, you have to reevaluate the other values and make sure that they get bumped into the right place. And I'm just constantly navigating that. And, um, I, I don't nail it on a day-to-day basis, but I hope I'm getting it on overall. Uh, but that's a challenge for me. Cause like, 
you know, I see so much potential for, I've got a new book coming out in, in September and I see so much potential for it. And people that read it are, I'm getting great reviews already from the editors and the readers and like way better than I anticipated. And so I start feeling ramped up inside of me like, oh, we got to do this. Like we got to do this. Like I'm going to just go all in on this because this may be the only shot we got for the book to really do well, you know, and, and just learning how to balance that and say, hey, it's still God. Like you can create the greatest product in the world, the greatest insight in the world, whatever, but it's, it's still, unless the Lord builds the house, he that labors, it labors in vain. And, uh, I'm just, I always want to, again, it's that control thing. I want to, I want to take the, I want to take the ball back in my hands. Um, so I have control of how we play and God's like, "Mm, nope, 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 nope. And he reminds me, unfortunately, he reminds me, I have a great wife that helps remind me too. So (laughs) Mm, that's good. I can feel that same that same tension. And um, the late, great Eugene Peterson used to talk about ambition and taming ambition. And, and mm-hmm. what does a holy sense of ambition look like? Um, and that's hard when we're given dreams and we're given um, ability and capacity. And in some ways we have lots of capacity. In other ways, we don't have much capacity, um, particularly yeah. when it comes to wanting to be faithful to our family in the season. And um, you know, not make the most urgent things, the important things. So thanks for for sharing that. We love to kind of hear from leaders in the trenches of that. What would you tell an overwhelmed leader right now in our culture? It seems to be running so rampant. What would you tell an overwhelmed leader listening to this podcast? I would say uh, something I, I've just written extensively about that. I would say you need to consult your anger and your resentment, Um I think that is what will quickest point to where you're allowing yourself to be overwhelmed. Um, and it may be trying to please your board or your staff, trying to please your congregation, plan, trying to please the people you serve too much. Um, it may be trying to control things too much. Uh, I just, I've just, I, I see over and over again that we get so overwhelmed um, trying to carry a weight that we're not supposed to carry. And yeah, you know, it's easy to say, Oh, just, you know, uh, you know, just, well, you just got to let it go, but, but letting it go is, is very involved because there's a reason we're holding on to it. So you need to consult like the, the, the anger you feel, you need to consult the resentment you feel, and you need to ask kind of like a, you know, an inspector that comes to your house and says, Hey, this, you know, when you're about to buy a new house, the inspector says, Hey, this is going to be a problem over here. That's a problem. And you get the report and you're like, Oh my gosh, my whole house is about to fall down, but it's not really, um, Generally, the, the house is in good shape. It's just you need to be aware of some things. And so anger and resentment are kind of a road roadmap or are, they're more like a sign, a sign on the road that kind of points you to say, hey, um, there's something going on inside of you that's the cause for you feeling overwhelmed. So what's driving you to speed up? Because uh, love slows down, anger speeds up. Uh, that was actually going to be the original title for this book coming out in September, but they've changed it a little bit to just love slows down. But, but I think it's really important to understand anger speeds up. And when we're feeling overwhelmed, it's because we're being driven by fear of something. It's usually of not getting the security, the connection, or the empowerment or control that we need. It's like I, I talked about earlier. And when when we're feeling overwhelmed, it's because we're trying to get those things from a source other than God, which that's so trite. You know, you can only find it in God. But that's the I mean, that's the ultimate reality we reckon with every day is, are you going to wake up and are you going to walk in your identity in Christ? Or are you going to try and run everything on your own? Um, you know, you can trust in the Lord with your whole heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways, acknowledge him, um, or are you going to do it on your own? And that's the challenge we face. And, and whenever we're trying to get security, connection, or empowerment on our own, it always leads to fear, which leads to anger. And then anger leads to speed. 
um, rush, hurry, trying to get everything done, trying to cram everything in. And we just get exhausted because we're not made to carry that weight. The yoke is easy and burden is light that Jesus came to give us. So if you're not feeling that, uh, something is out of whack inside of you and you're trying to get something met um, that that's getting met in the wrong place because it's never going to fulfill. That's right. It's so good. That's so timely right now. There's so much weight people are carrying on their shoulders and overwhelm. Uh, I've never seen it like this before where, I mean, I think just getting through the day, so many people feel like that's just a victory. If I can just get through the day, get through the set of emails, it just feels like people are carrying so much weight. Um, and of course I have so much empathy for that. I love your sort of practical ways and paths toward freedom. Let's get personal. We always want to talk about how are you staying healthy right now? So Joel, what practices help you stay healthy? Uh, <laughs> this is going to sound funny, but obviously there's the spiritual practices, but one of the things that's so important to me is, um, is cooking. Um, I don't know what it is, but there's something about creating through cooking that if I don't do it for a while, I just find myself getting, I don't know, in a bad place mentally. I don't know. It's a weird thing. Like I'm probably just, I probably have a mental illness or something, but, <laughs> but <laughs> cooking, I think it's a creative act for me. Um, and I love it. Uh, I don't use recipes or anything. And so I, I love to just cook and, and I can tell when I haven't cooked in a while. I'm kind of like, I can tell when I haven't been praying. Um, and then the other thing that's totally changed my life is, um, which I'm, I'm hesitant to say this because you're not supposed to brag about this, but fasting, <laughs> I've started, um, consistently fasting and it is, wow. it's changed everything, Alan. I'm not kidding, man. Like hangry. I, I used to get like what they call hangry or like if I didn't have my, yeah, if I didn't have my meal, I would lose it. And I, I got, I was like, I don't know. I just kind of started accepting that. I'm like, it's just, I just, that's the way I am. I get really hangry. And God kind of convicted me about that. And I've hated fasting. Like I've never, I'm, I just turned 41 and up until I was 39, I had never fasted more than a day. Um, like, does anyone love fasting? You know, just like at the core, do you, <laughs> yeah, like, truly, probably they're, not. <laughs> they're telling the truth. Like, yes, I love skipping food intentionally. Right. No, I, I know that people that, that just forget to do it and they don't get bothered by it, but it was a real discipline for me. And man, I started doing it. And not only did I feel more connected spiritually, but it fixed a lot of stuff in my health. And you're seeing a lot of science now saying that our bodies are, God made us, you know, uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb talks about how we're anti-fragile. We're, we're things that actually gain from chaos and disorder. God created us that way. Um, but what we have to do is we have to leave space for our body to do what it's called to do. And if it's always working on digesting and processing food, it can never heal itself. Um, and I've just, I found my allergies got better through it, through fasting. And it's just amazing how God created our bodies. And they're now even saying that treating cancer through fasting is one of the keys to do it. Giving your, giving your body the space to do what it's called to do like what it's made to do, the way God created it to be anti-fragile, to stand up against all of the forces out there that can take us down. And our body can heal itself if you if you give it the space. I mean, there's everything God asks us to do spiritually has practical meaning to it. And I just, fasting was a big deal for me. It was, it was a game changer. I've been doing it for two years now. Um, I wish I had a little more weight. I lost a little more weight than I wanted from it. <laughs> but but hey, can't complain in your 40s when you don't have a gut. So uh, that keeps you in shape. It's interesting. I mean, that's that's fascinating that both of your ideas there, principles there are about food and about, I mean, really just how much and how quickly we consume food. 
It's a big deal to us. And the best moments. Wow. I had never made that connection, bro. This is like, I, I need to pay you for a therapy session here. That's a very good observation. Fair enough, man. We're adding value on both sides. All right. We'll, we'll call it even, but it's, it's interesting. The best moments that I remember in life are long meals where I lost track of time. And we mm. do this ridiculous. We, we just, it's a stupid seven course meal that is way more food, way longer than you need. It's lavish at the end of our experiences. You look around and you'll see people tearing up. You'll see people laughing. But mm. the rule is you can only get up if you have to go to the bathroom. And you're just so <laughs> present. And those are the best moments. And I'm, I'm thinking, man, like, am I boring? That the best moments are either that or, I mean, maybe it's just a hot dog around a fire, right? But something you're like, oh, man, you know, you're, you're in the setting with food. And how much of our unhealth, I wonder, comes from how quickly we forget that gift that is food and how much we consume. So I love this part, this, this portion, this part of our podcast where, I mean, some people talk about exercise and sleep and just the practical pieces of that. So thanks for sharing that. And I think many times we just don't feel spiritual with whatever our answer is, but it's deeply spiritual. So thanks for sharing about food. I think you're probably the first one that's brought up food there. So right <laughs> after this, you need to go cook a meal, right? Don't get, don't get hangry. It's go cook already in the crock pot, bro. <laughs> yes. No wonder you're in a good mood, man. It must smell, smell ma- amazing at your house today. Joel, uh, thanks for the great work that you do. So encouraged by that. We'd love to have you back on the podcast to launch your new book that is in process right now. How can folks learn from you and maybe join on one of the trips with Summit Leaders? Uh, well, there's uh, two websites you could go to. is summit, summitleaders.com, S-U-M-M-I-T, leaders, plural, dot com, or my website, Joel Malm, J-O-E-L-M-A-L-M.com. Either one of those will get you to the trips. It'll get you the blog, the podcast, um, some videos of some teaching I do, and all that stuff. So Awesome. Well, man, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for what you do. And I'm so glad you made it through that hairy experience crossing over from the DR to Haiti. Well, hey, guys, we're going to let you go here soon, but I want to remind you to keep taking your next right steps. This was such a great conversation with Alan and Joel. There was tons of practical information there. I would encourage you to let this one resonate for a bit. Let it continue to simmer in the crock pot and come back to it later. Listen to it again. Take some notes. Invite a friend to join you. Just keep taking your next right steps and head over to Facebook and share with us what next steps do you need to take that you haven't that you're afraid of. We want to encourage you and give you some guidance along the way. You're on a journey towards health and impact, and we want to know that we are right there with you. You can catch the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast every Tuesday and Thursday, wherever you consume them. And until then, keep pressing on and we'll see you right back here on the next episode. Shot, shot, we ain't focused so long.